Principal Matters Podcast, episode 191. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Schwanke, principal of Indian Run Elementary in Dublin, Ohio, and the author of two books, You're the Principal, Now What? and The Principal Reboot, Eight Ways to Revitalize Your School Leadership. Jen Schwanke, it's been a while since you and I have talked, and you have been distance leading, and I have been coaching principals to distance lead, and I just want to pause for a moment and reflect together. And Principal Manager listeners, this is going to be an episode of reflection from leaders just talking about what it's like to lead from a distance. So catch us up, Jen. How are you? And is there such a thing as a new norm? Yeah, what a tricky time. I was thinking about how if someone had sat us down in October and told us what our days would look like, we would have laughed them out of the room. We would have thought they were crazy. And, and it's one of those things where every day there's a new normal. And you know, when you and I were chatting earlier, you said, we're going to have to do reflections because this is all so new. There's no historical perspective. There's no guidebook. There's no textbook. There's no, there's nothing. So every, everything we do is new. And I know that I told my staff, you know, they were, they were, they are frightened and, and uncertain and deeply insecure about how they do this. And, and the one thing I could think to reassure them was this hasn't been done before, so it's impossible to do it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it, it is. You know, you're talking from Dublin, Ohio, and I'm talking from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my wife's work is, she's a data analyst for an oil in gas market report. And we were just talking at lunch today because she tracks the market. And as she watched a barrel of oil go below $10 a barrel and then down to zero and then into negative territory, you know, we were talking about the fact that it's the last time a barrel of oil dropped below $8 a barrel was 1999. And so I don't think anybody in that industry has ever seen anything like this. And I was thinking about our industry. You know, we're educators. When in our lifetime have we ever, and I can't think of educators ever going through this except maybe in the time of war, ever been where we can't serve students in person for this long of a time, not not because of choice, but because of necessity. And it just seems different every day, Jen, just when I think we're beginning to to get a sense of, you know, this is how it's going to be, and this is the new norm, and then something else happens that makes me wonder, well, what's the, what's the projection, and how long will this last? And and I don't want to create fear in this conversation. I want us to be able to encourage one another, and Principal Matters listeners, you're managing all kinds of, of emotions right now, stress, uh, but also the the importance of encouraging your people. But I just want to be real, Jen, that um, we're facing something that, and I don't want to overuse all the terms that have been used, but we're really facing times that none of us have ever experienced. And nobody ever taught anything like this in a master's class, what happens when you can't have school. And so um, I would love to just reflect with you for a few minutes on your journey. And I know the journeys are are very similar. So, you know, I know the principles that I talk to on a regular basis are probably experiencing a lot of the same things that you have. But I just want to hear Jen's story. What, let's back up a little bit because you and I have not had chances to speak since right before your book being released and, and during that time. Uh, and so, gosh, how much has happened in a month? And uh, so back me up a little bit. Let's talk about that experience and, and what are some of the things that you guys have been facing in your community? Well, you touched on the real truth of this, which is how rapidly our 
schema of how to to handle this and how to navigate it changes. And so, you know, going back to March, I remember that our librarian said to me, we're going to be closed for a few weeks. And I called him crazy. I said, no, we're not. We, you can't shut down the schools. You can't do that. And boy, he was right. And, you know, when it first happened, I was literally in a meeting with a bunch of administrators and we were waiting for the governor's press conference. And then it happened and we were scrambling to understand what this meant and to wrap our minds around it. And I am unbelievably lucky to have incredible district leadership who had a remote learning website up within 24 hours and and instructional coaches rallying and teachers thinking outside the box. And, you know, we, like many districts, we were really equipped for this in sixth through 12th grade because there was a lot of Google classrooms already and a lot of learning management systems. The elementary schools were not so much. And I think in our district and across the state and I think across the country, that's the struggle is how do you keep your high schoolers motivated and engaged when the motivations that we've relied upon are gone? And how do you grab those little tiny people and teach them how to be learners when they're staring at a screen? And so Mm -hmm. every grade, every class, every student, every home environment creates a new challenge. And we've taken away the, if you will, the controlled environment where we have a room and we put them all together and we teach them how it's going to be in this room, you know, that's gone. And, you know, there's a lot of grieving and mourning on the students' part too. Mm -hmm. My own son said, you've taken away everything I love about school and you've tripled Mm -hmm. everything I hate about it. And there's a lot of learning in that for us. And so, like you said, that we are positive, we are leaders, and that's the silver lining we need to find what is it that we're learning about all of this? So, so that's a very long-winded and circular route to answer your question. The journey in, from my seat on the plane has been complicated, ever-changing, but also I'm really proud because sure. teachers are resilient and smart and quick-thinking, and even those that were like, no, I want to send packets home. I can't do this. They have forced themselves to learn new technology and really, really get get on the bus with everyone else. So I hear stories of educators across the country finding their own way. And what they say the most, Will, is how much they miss the people. How, this is a human yeah. business. We've always known that, but now we're living it. Yeah. And that's the refrain that I keep hearing from principals over and over again is just you know, how much their students miss one another, how much we value the, the tangible parts of that brick and mortar experience, that, that schoolhouse experience that now that we don't have. And I think you're right. It's interesting. A couple of things I've thought of, Jen, as you were saying that is one, the grieving process is cyclical, but it's not all happening at the same time. I mean, you, right. if you look across the spectrum of the nation, different states have decided at different times when to close school and how long to close school some states like Oklahoma decided almost four weeks ago now that they were closed for the rest of the year. So we we immediately went into grief, um, but then we had to adjust for what that distance learning was going to look like through mid-May, where other states are just making that announcement this week. And so there's, you know, so you see these ripple effects of the different kinds of emotional struggles that people are facing of thinking, I'm going to be doing this for a few weeks and then I'll be back. And then others who have already embraced that they're not going to be back. You know, I talked to a private school principal last week um, who's in a 
a parochial school and and they still haven't announced the closure of their school for the rest of the year. And so I just know that people, especially in, in the public school realms, depending on state to state, and then of course, private school principals have a whole different um, dynamic depending on who makes the decisions. But it's, um, I think that grief has looked different for different people. And so there's just been these waves of emotion. I've experienced also the pride of just watching people shine and just do amazing work in such short time periods and still connect and love their communities. And then just watching the grief of knowing what they're missing. My high school daughter is a junior. And when the announcement was made that they weren't returning to school, you know, she began to cry, not because she's going to miss out on her senior year, not because she's, you know, but she was grieving for her friends that, you know, her classmates who she knows that she was going to celebrate with, that she would play at their graduation ceremonies, you know, that she would, she would be there for their events and knowing that that's just not going to happen. And so how do you manage a, a whole school community that's grieving on so many different levels? And so I think that's part of the challenge of, of remaining optimistic and, and still leading by example while at the same time acknowledging those waves of emotions that people must, must be experiencing. Right. Right. And I I think the grieving is also laced with a little bit of relief. I'm going to be honest. I have loved not having discipline referrals, my friend. I have loved that my pace is different. I work really hard. I work a lot harder than I thought I would. I work many more hours than I thought I would. And it's a different pace. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wake up at Odark 30 anymore. So there are things too that, that we're not sad to see go. And I know if teachers were being honest, they would say that as well. So, so in this is a, it's like we all got a different job for four months. And yeah. I think when you, when you think about it that way, you can really grab onto the things you love about your work and think of ways you're going to enhance it and really make it more of who you are every day. And then there's the things that now we know what really does drag our energy out of us and stomp on, on our souls, you know, and maybe we can think of different ways to manage that. And so if, if I'm just going to take the example I gave, you know, discipline is a soul suck for me. It's, it's hard for me to stay fresh on that. So this is maybe a way that I can put a microscope on my emotions about it and think, how could I do it differently? How could I involve maybe a team or how could we put in some more positive behavior supports? So it's not such an energy drag for me. So I guess what I'm saying is nobody asked for a four month sabbatical, especially not one where we stare in front of a laptop all day, but we kind of got one and it's a great time to reflect. Yeah, I agree. And there are, you know, with every challenge, there's also an opportunity. Um, And, you know, I'll just give you some personal examples. I've been composing music again, you know, something that I love to do, but rarely have time to do because I travel so much and now I'm not traveling, you know, I'm not out of state. I'm not across the state. I'm not in schools throughout the week. And so those evening hours that I, used to find sucked up by other activities. There's a lot more time now for me to sit down at the keyboard or piano or the guitar and and just write music. And so I think other people are just rediscovering some of those gifts that they've lost. You know, my son, Jack, has fallen in love with the kitchen. He loves to bake. He loves to cook. And so we've been enjoying that too. And I, I was having a conversation last week with a secondary principal who was explaining the same thing, you know, that there's this Spring is often the most difficult time for us emotionally because people are wearing out 
and we're in that last leg of the race and you know how hard the last leg of a race is. And so this is usually the time of the year where you would be talking about how to stay invigorated <laughs> for the final push and how to just, you know, how to, how to stay focused on what you can control. And, and we can still talk about those things. But she was saying that there's almost like this renewed vigor of appreciation for what school is now that we don't have it. You know, this is the time of the year where people are dreading what school means. And now they're like grieving that they can't be there. But at the same time, they're celebrating some new opportunities. So it's just such a mixture. It is. It is. You know, and, I have, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. And, and then I think it also depends on who you talk to because you have students who are in homes where they're supported and still receiving great care and nutrition and learning opportunities. And then, you know, you've got kids that are struggling in very unsafe situations who don't have supports and, or we can't even get a hold of. And so those are the, those are the dynamics that this situation has brought out that I think is so different. I have a friend who asked me at the very beginning of this, he said, do you think this is going to bring schools to a close for good once you realize you can do it all remotely? And I said, oh, friend, quite the contrary. This has taken a big fat tarp off of what was always hidden in public Mm -hmm. education or private education really is the role that a school really does play, not only for a a whole community and a whole society, but for individual families and kids. And we had a statistic that came out recently in our state that sounds wonderful, but when you think about it, it's, it's really scary. And that is that referrals to our children's services for situations at home that were not safe have been reduced by 48%. Now, what that means is is we're not seeing those problems. We're not seeing students that are unsafe. Schools do that. Schools are watching out for young people and we're making sure they're safe. Um, The food, you know, my district is providing 500 breakfasts and lunches a day and they're doing it five days a week without any hesitation. Technology, it's unveiled some of the inequities in technology in home environments and so on. And what it has done, I think, is make people say, oh my goodness, we need schools. Schools are what's holding us together. And I think much like grocery workers and medical personnel, there's going to be a different sort of appreciation. And I think it's time for that. I'm glad that this that this happened, so sad it happened in this way, but I'm glad that we have been forced to take a closer look at what role school, schools play in our entire society. It's always been true, but now we're, we're having to live it. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Jim, for that perspective. And, and as I think about like, the question that I was asked a couple of weeks ago to if I could put together a blog post on how to lead during uncertain times. And so I've been writing about that in last week's episode. I talked about essential things that I think we should be doing in school leadership. But frankly, it's the same advice that I would be giving if we weren't right. in school right. closures. And so, so much of what I think about when people ask, well, how are you leading during this time? Or how, you know, I think we can talk about the technicalities but when it comes to the practice, the values that we that we were using in our day-to-day operations, I think still translate into the values we should be using now too. So let's let's go there for a few minutes, Jen. I just want to explore what that's looking like in practice for you guys, because you've been leading in a building now where you've been able to build a strong culture, a community of learning, a place of trust with teachers. And so what what has that looked like when you flipped this model now and suddenly your teachers are having to try to replicate that while quarantined? Well, there's there's two parts of that I think you're asking. And the first would be, well, I'll talk personally. What I I had an instinct from the very beginning to really rely on the professionalism of teachers. Mm -hmm. I cannot micromanage remotely. 
I'm never a micromanager, but it cannot happen remotely. And the last thing that our kids, our, our students, our the families and our teachers need is somebody checking up on them or making sure they're doing things a certain way. Remote learning cannot be done lockstep. So we can't expect that. So from the beginning, I said to my teachers, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to hand you tissues virtually if you need to cry, but we will do this. You got it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful to you. I have said it and said it and said it. And I, I think that that was my role as a leader during uncertain times was to remind them how fabulous they are, to tell them I believe in them and to get out of their way. So I hear from teachers just in social media and, and connections that I have that those are the teachers that are excelling the most, believe it or not, or when nobody's in their way, that they can just do it and take the feedback from their kids, take the feedback from their parents. Hey, this is too much work. Oh, okay. I, thank you for the feedback. Or we're not in, challenged enough. Okay, I can adjust. So teachers can do this if we believe in them and, and trust that they will do it correctly or do it as well as can be done. Now, the other piece to this, I had an instinct to tell my staff, I gave them one of my rare lectures. I said, you cannot compare yourself to your remote teaching to what other teachers are doing. The dirty dark secret about teaching and education is it's a deeply competitive world. And we're always looking at oh, what's that school doing? Oh my goodness, that principal's outside in front at drop-off wrapping. Oh my goodness, look, there's a video that's just amazing. I have to make that video. Teachers do it tenfold. You know, how, what resources? That teacher's using Flipgrid. I have to use Flipgrid. That teacher's using an MLS. I have to do that. That teacher's Google Classroom. I'm not ready for that. I told my teachers, don't fall into that trap. Look at your students. Look at what they already know up until this point in March and capitalize on that. Learn yourself as we go forward, but for goodness sakes, don't try to be somebody who you're not. And that was one piece of feedback I've got from teachers. They said, thank you. Because if you get on Twitter and you look at other teachers, you will feel so small. You will feel that the things you're doing aren't enough because there's so much out there, but what they are doing is enough. And we don't have to make TikTok videos in sync with the neighborhood, you know, puppy or whatever <laughs> to be a good teacher. That can come later once, once we've gotten our footing as a remote learner and remote teacher. Oh, that's so good, Jen. And I love that takeaway to, you know, and that's the same thing for leaders. You know, teachers need to look at their students and decide what they need, which in turn drives their work. You know, their work has to be the focus of what their kids need, not what's someone else doing. And it's the same thing for us as leaders too. It's easy for us, I think, in, in a situation like this to try to decide what is our work supposed to look like. And I bet, think the better question is, what are the needs of the people who we're supporting? That's what our work should look like. Right. And so it's the same thing. And so I, that's a, such a great takeaway. Talk to me a little bit about some of the ways that your teachers are staying connected to kids, because I know that that looks different too. Some kids have access to technology while others don't. So what's How's that looking for, for your school? It's so different based on the child and the home environment and the support that the parent might provide or, you know, older brothers and sisters. It's so different. And that's something, again, that the teachers struggled with because when, when they're all there in the room because the bus brought them there, there's a great deal of control we have. And now we can't control. And, and what we have to do is stay away from assumptions or general, generalizations about why a student may be engaged or not. And this is such a time for one of the most currently overused words, such a time for grace, just giving grace to other people and giving everybody a break. 
I feel like if I can start every thought with don't make assumptions, don't assume, don't think anything that you're experiencing is what somebody else is experiencing. That's hugely helpful. The staying connected to students, I think I would say that was the biggest challenge because, you know, Google Meet is what we as a district are using. And teachers are setting up individual meetings, small group meetings, and all class meetings. But when you meet with students, the most efficient and effective way is to put everybody on mute and ask them to raise their hand. Well, that's not connecting. That's, you know, what that is, is a very awkward staff meeting. <laughs> so, so I think teachers are struggling with that, but they're trying so hard. But I've heard, heard so many wonderful ideas. Some teachers are being old-fashioned pen pals. Some teachers are doing, you know, flip grids or padlets or using Pear Deck as a way to interact virtually. None of it is the same, but boy, some of it really is effective. And it's letting some students who don't shine in a traditional classroom environment, it's letting them step up and say, hey, I can do this. Look at what I've created and I can share it. I do think this would be a whole different conversation, Will, if this had happened in September. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, or imagine if, have, yeah, yeah, I've talked to so many leaders about this too. Imagine if this had happened 10 years ago or 15 oh. years ago just how difficult it would be right now to stay as engaged as we are. And so I love those ideas for connecting with kids. And and I think that's such a a great place, a good perspective to remember that the assumption needs to be the best in situations like this, because we can get really frustrated and assume the worst when when these things are happening. You know, one of the questions, Jen, that, that I don't like to think about right now, but it's a question that keeps coming to me from other leaders is, you know, what if the distance learning continues? You know, what if for some reason school closures are happening, you know, later into, you know, what if the fall begins with something like this and now we're looking at the beginning of a year, like you just said, a September like this. And that raises a whole nother set of issues, you know, like how do you create distance learning at that point that's probably stronger standard-based, that's, more, that's, that's focused on, because at some point, what I hear leaders saying is that's at some point, if we were to stay in this long distance or long term, you would have to raise the bar in terms of how to really measure if students are learning, because right now we're just trying to make sure they're safe and give them as much connection engagement as we possibly can. And I guess that leads me to the, to the position. And I'd love your reflections on this too, is, is we have to control what we can control and not fret over what we can't. But then as leaders, we also have to, we do have to think down the road in terms of the what ifs. So I'm just curious and I'm not asking you for an answer, but I'm just curious your, your reflections when, when those thoughts come to you. Yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot. And I think about the work that we do as educators as a, a tank of gasoline, and we only have so much, we can't burn it up. And I think if we live in the what ifs too much, we're burning up energy that we're going to need later. So a lot of those decisions are out of our control and we won't know them until, you know, some weeks, some months down the road. So I had thought to myself, should I start planning? Should I start thinking? And I thought, well, I don't even know what, what I would think or plan for. What we have proven to ourselves in many cases is that educators can pivot faster than anyone else. They can think quickly and come up with ideas quickly. So when, when that challenge presents, itself, I feel confident we're ready. But if I spend time mid-April angsting about what August is going to look like, I'll never get that time and energy back. It'll be burned. So I am, I'm really trying to adhere to intense self-discipline to not go down the rabbit hole of the what ifs. And, and this is 
a big challenge for teachers, for athletic directors, for coaches, for superintendents, my goodness, for curriculum leaders, all those people who we're going to look to for, for guidance if this happens. But who knows? You know, two months ago, we didn't know we'd be in this position. So who knows where we'll be in two months? Yeah. And, you know, as, as experienced leaders, and believe it or not, Jen, we actually are getting that category now. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, when we have seen times before when budgets are short or when the recessions hit or when things happen where suddenly you have less resources and supports, you do have to make hard decisions sometimes, like what programs might I need to cut or what positions might be relieved. And, and the bottom line is when you get to, when you get to that point, you have to look at the numbers and make really hard decisions, but you make them based on what's going to work and what won't. It's just like you do with a family budget or just like you do in any other situation because the numbers have to make sense. Right. And you don't do that absent of emotion, but when you get to that point, it becomes a numbers game and you have to decide based on priorities, what's a priority and what's not. And if everything's a priority or we wouldn't have the service for our kids. But if there's any leaders listening who've never been through cuts, and I can't imagine anyone out there who hasn't, but if you haven't, led during a time of, of cuts or reductions, you can survive and you still can make sure that the priorities of school are happening and that the best parts of school still exist for you and your staff, even in hard times. Um, and so I love that, Jen, that if that happens, you'll make those decisions when, the, when it arrives. Right. But I love the idea that if, and so, you know, accept that that decision, those decisions may come at some point if things prolong. But right now, I love the perspective that you have, that your energy and your emotional supports need to go into the moment. What's happening right now and how can I make sure that I'm supporting people as much right now to get them through this through this situation in a way that they feel this, that they still understand the value of their school, that they still right. understand how much we care about them, how much we support them. And, and I think that leads me to a last question, Jen, and we'll wrap up this episode, but that is how do we maintain the kind of communication with our families and community members so that they know we still care. And so I'm just curious what some of your habits have been in communicating and in what ways that you're able to still, re, you know, connect as much as possible with your community, even though you can't, you know, grab those kids every day or high five them as they're coming through or have assemblies with them or see their parents at the drop-offs. I'm going to answer this question with a huge caveat, which is what I do works really well for me. Remember, no comparisons are allowed because everybody is so different. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've done is videos every two or three days, and they're two minutes long, maybe. And I sit in a different place every time, and I look a little different every time. My hair is different. My outfit's different. Sometimes the dog runs across the screen. And I just try to give them a two-minute version of me as a human, which is how they see me at school. You know, half the time I'm a mess. Half the time I'm late. Half the time I'm, I'm paying attention. Half the time I'm not. So I try to be that. I am not naturally comfortable at, in a screencastify or a YouTube video at all, but I have busted out of that comfort zone. And, and I have really enhanced our community Facebook page. We have a closed group Facebook page and, and there we have allowed parents to ask questions about anything from why the Chromebook isn't working to what will happen to um, the end of the year assembly or whatever. And so that's become a really interactive tool. And it also, by the way, has become a place where people can say thank you, not only to individual teachers, but also to our school community as a whole. So that has worked for me. One promise I made early was I'm not going to overdo it. I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to try and win a principal award through this. I'm just going to try and do what my kids and my teachers need. And that's what I encourage everyone to do. You know, we don't need to turn into someone else. We just need to be ourselves. 
be vulnerable, be open, be sad, be happy, be positive, be all those things because that's how the that's how our people are feeling, and they need to see the human side of this from their leader as well. So that's me. That's just Jen Schwanke, but I'm sure every principal would have a very different answer, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, and Jen, what I like about that too is that you have figured out how to still be yourself because you already had systems and routines of connection and community with your with your school. And I and Principal Matters listeners, I, I think that's such a good encouragement as we wrap up this week is to think about the fact that you cannot be someone else, but you can be you. And so whatever that was you were already doing in your school to create community, to connect with people, it may need to look different now. It may be a phone call. It might be a, a, a thank you note. It might be it might be sending an email to somebody that you've thought of today. It may be a social media tweet. What but whatever it is that works for you, find ways that you can still be yourself to your community. In, in my principalship, I always would do a, a quick wrap-up of the week and some kind of celebration through an email out to my parents and community members. And in my work now uh, supporting principals, I try to still do a weekly share of some kind to celebrate the work that they're doing. And so I, I always have to ask myself that question, what are the things that I was doing before and how can I continue those, even if I have to change the way that I'm doing them somewhat, but I need a routine of celebration. I need a routine of connection. I need a routine of connection because otherwise I'm going to, I won't be satisfied with my work either. And that's, that's what makes my, my heart warm in the work that we do with kids. Well, Jen, thank you so much. I know you are so busy with the work that you're doing supporting teachers and your students, just like everyone, but Principal Matters listeners, as you are, wherever you are in this journey, whether you've already known for a month that school's finished for you for this year, or whether you're just finding out yesterday or today, please know that um, we are Leaders share a lot of the same struggles and journeys together. And I want you to know that the work that you do every single day is still making a difference in the lives of your students and your community members and your parents and your teachers. And they know it. They know that you care about the way that that you show that to them. So Jen, any closing thoughts before we say our goodbyes? No closing. I have a quick story. I'm sorry, just very quick. I, I feel like I always quote my dad on these podcasts, but he reminds me that when he was five years old, there was the polio outbreak and school was canceled for a whole spring semester. And he remembers it vividly. He remembers it because he got to play outside as much as he wanted. And there were some kids, he says, who had to stay inside those poor things. And you know what? We recovered from that. And that was a disease that hit children. It was terrifying. And it it brought a country to its knees. And we came back from that. And I actually hang on to that when people say, these are unprecedented times. And I think, boy, we've been through worse. We're going to be okay. We are resilient. We are humans. And we really do walk in as a community. And so I remember that. And I encourage anyone, ask someone who's between the age of 70 and 80. Ask about that polio epidemic, what it felt like, sounded like, what the fear was, how they got over it. Because this is a great way to look back and get some stories from people who have gone before us. Thank you, Jen. What a great way. And, and please always quote your dad. He's got the best <laughs> yes. nuggets of wisdom. And I'm so thankful that for the wisdom that he shared with us already. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I appreciate the time that you've taken to learn together this week. Thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. <laughs>